So I heard a new one this morning. <laughs> what did the Buddha say to the hot dog stand? Make me one with everything. No? Don't use it? No? Okay. All right, well. It's a tough crowd, boy. I'll tell you, a rough crowd here. Generation Z. Who are those people? Born from the 1990s, mid-1990s to 2010. Any of those here today? Generation Z people? Look at this. Generation Z, don't be scared, Alex, you're Generation Z. I got four of those in my house. Well, two now, two in college. Um, you say, what's so important? You can't get those people to work. <laughs> All right, now listen to this. Sorry, I'm not picking on Generation Why Yes, I am. But let's look at this here for a moment. They say that over uh, close to 60% of Generation Z people are not ready for the real life, for working outside the home. Uh, 60%. Um, here's the reason why. It's not because they're lazy. Don't call them lazy. They're not lazy. What they are is entitled. <laughs> they think the world owes them. Listen to this. Generation Z people going for, looking for a job, one out of five bring mommy and daddy with them to the interview, listen to this, 47% of them dress inappropriately. You know, they go like Hulk Hogan there, you know what I mean, they had a tank top on for a business job. A lot of them, the majority of them give unreasonable compensation requests. You will pay me this if I'm gonna work here. Really, how many years do you have in the workforce? Uh, I've never worked, but you will pay me this. In fact, it's interesting that one went for a job and the, the company was all excited about hiring this kid right out of college and they offered him a nice job and the kid goes, I don't want this job, I want to be a manager. And the company goes, well, how often have you worked this job? Well, I never have, but I want to start as a manager. Uh, the job said, Lord bless you. They, they, they fail during the interviews to make eye contact with the, the person. They are not prepared. And here's what's the interesting thing about what they say about this generation. They say, you know who the problem is? The problem is the parents preparing them for what is ahead. We haven't entitled our kids. Um, wow, that was a hard article to read since I have four that I'm dealing with right now. When you think of somebody who wants to go and work, what do you think of a good mark of that person is? What's a good characteristic of that person? And when they come to a church, what makes a good minister? You ever think about that? Or a good deacon? As you read through these things here in the ministry reports, and you're going to see different things that God has done through different ministers here. At the end of the report, what's going to make you want to say, wow, that person was a good, good servant of Jesus Christ? I mean, how do you know? And, and right here in this passage of Scripture, we're going to see that Paul is going to tell Timothy, if you do these things, 
You're going to be a good servant. Look at this here in, in verse 6. You will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. This is the goal. This is what we want. We want to be not only a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word there is deacon, diakonos. You will be a good one. You will benefit lives if you do this. If this is your heart as you serve God. If you pay attention to these things that we're going to find out in verses 6 to 10. There are several things here. If you do them, you're going to be a good one. If you don't do them, you're not going to be a good one. It's as simple as that. And so let's look at what they are here and, and see allow, allow God to, to prepare our hearts. Notice this in verse 6, how he starts this off. A good servant of Jesus is one who gently points out false teaching. Now watch this. In verse 6 it says this, In pointing out these things, Notice it doesn't say in commanding these things or being dogmatic or mad about these things or forcing people to believe these things. Really what God wants us to do is to lay out truth to people. We are learning this now having kids in college. Before we were in the, in the home, it was easier as a parent. You could say to the person, you're in my house, you will do this, and that's it. Now, you say, this is what we suggest. And as Ellie was uh, telling us about her church experience and all that, I praise God she became a member. And it was a big church there in, in, in Ohio. And she had to give her testimony and all that. But I said, Ellie, what are you doing at that church? She says, well, I go there. I sit down. I leave. I said, well, Ellie, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not forcing you to do this. I'm just suggesting something. Sweetie, I think it would be better if you got into a church where you can serve. So you know what she did? At first, she was a little defensive. And then she went back to school. They were having revival meetings at the school. They were having chapels morning and evening. She, she, she called us. She said, you know what, Dad? I think that I am going to go to a church now where I can serve. Praise God. Because that's where she's going to grow. Don't just go to church to sit there, go to church to serve. But here's what, here's what it says here. We are to lay out things to people. We don't force people, you must believe this. We don't put the Bible up their nose and say, you must believe, look at this, look what it says. We just lay out the truth and say, this is what the scripture says. And here's where it's hard. It's not just one time we do it. Notice this in verse 6. In pointing out these things, these things are the false doctrines that are being taught about marriage and about food and all the things that I love. And, and he says here, he says, you got to continually point them out. I wish it was just one sermon that would fix the whole church. Wouldn't that be great? Or, or one thing to show people one verse and they get right with God. It's not like that. You have to continually point things out. I love when people tell me, oh, is something going on in the church? Just preach a series on it and that'll change it. Oh, really? One sermon and, and that's it? You know how many sermons I've preached? You know how many sermons I've preached? Does anyone know how many sermons I've preached here at, at Whitefield Community Bible Church? Close to 400. All right? How many do you remember? Close to zero. That's all right. You know, I, I wrote them all down. I wrote them all down. 400. <laughs> You know how many times I say the same thing over and over and over again? Amen. 
And listen, here's what happens. And as we live on this side of heaven, there's always going to be sin and frustration that gets in the way. And every church is going to struggle with sinners, and every church is going to struggle with false doctrine. It just happens. You know why? Because we're all sinners. And so what do you have to do? You have to be faithful in laying out the truth, being faithful in calling a spade a spade, not being a politician, not being overly, but just saying, here's what God says. If you want to believe it, that's between you and God. But here it is. We're just laying it out. And I, I love what one person said. We are feeding sheep. We are not feeding giraffes. You say, what does that mean? Because some people, they like to put the truth so high that nobody understands anything. So they get into the pulpit and they say, how are you doing here today? Are you an infralapsarian or a superlapsarianist? Do you believe in the propitiation of your sins or not? You're going to hell. People are like, what did he just say? No, you put the cookies where the people can eat them. And you lay it down nicely. And you just explain the scriptures. Here it is. We're just pointing it out. We're just laying it out to you. These things. It is present tense. We are continually laying out God's truth. This is what he says in his word. There's no book of the month that's going to solve any church problems. There's no series of, of sermons that will solve it. There's no church program that will solve it. It's just a continual pointing out. This is what God says. And continually doing it. Wow. Now, here's the danger. We get so excited about to point others to God's truth that we forget to point to ourselves. And look what he says here in this passage. He tells us the second thing about being a good servant is not only one who faithfully points out what, and gently points out what God says in his word, but he says this. He says, a good servant is somebody who nourishes himself or herself with the very scriptures. Notice this in verse 6. He says, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished. The, the, the word there means to be spiritually fed. And, and literally what it's saying is you're feeding yourself. You're not just pointing others to Scripture. It's easy to say, this is what you need to do. This is what the Bible says you need to do. It's harder to say, this is what I need to do. And we need to be spiritually feeding ourselves. Scripture, students of the Scripture. Notice what it says in verse 6. Two things here that we feed ourselves on. Constantly nourished. Spiritually nourished. On the words of faith and of sound doctrine. I, I was reading some of the things that would help our bodies. Like um, some things that would nourish our bodies. Big thing is what? Water. You got to drink a lot of water. I used to think one cup of water was a, I mean, a lot of water. You got to drink a lot of water. You know, beans are good for the heart. Don't finish the uh, nursery rhyme, but it is good. Right. Beans, beans, good for the heart. There's other things that are good for the body. We study those things out. Do you know what's good for the soul? I'm going to tell you two things. Watch this here. Spiritually nourish your soul with the words of the faith 
In other words, what he's saying is spiritually nourish your soul with the words of the gospel. Understand the gospel. Understand what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. Understand what it means that he accepts us by faith alone. Nourish your heart with what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And don't stop there. Nourish your heart and your lives. Feed your souls on the sound doctrine. Good doctrine. Good doctrine is faithful to God's word. Good doctrine tells you what the Bible says. The Bible rules. It's what the Bible says. And sound doctrine lives to, after sound doctrine, I'm sorry, all of a sudden now we have sound minds, we have sound hearts, and we have sound lives because we're following the right things. Sound doctrine, true doctrine. Feed your heart and soul with the scriptures. Be students of the Bible. Understand the God of the Bible, he's saying. Nourish yourself. Because we've seen it over and over. People get so excited about God's word, what other people have to hear, do. In fact, remember when that website came out that exposed people and, and exposed those who were committing adultery? And all of a sudden, hundreds of pastors were exposed. And one Bible teacher was exposed in the South. And you know what he did? He killed himself. And I'll never forget what his wife said. His wife said this. He was so good at pointing other people to God's grace that he forgot to point God's grace to himself. Be a student of the Bible. Feed your soul with the scripture. There are so many wonderful ways to feed our, 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 our spiritual souls. We, we nourish on word studies, on the attributes of God. We take Proverbs. We, we read. We study. We understand the Bible. We get excited about the Bible. You're feeding yourself. I, I, I was listening to, and, and reading about Tyndale, one that he translated the Bible. When he, was, when he was about to die, you know what he said what he wanted? Listen to the things that he wanted in prison. Tell me if you would want this. He wanted a warmer cap. Yeah, I would want that. Amen. You know what I mean? On a day like this. He wanted a candle. Praise God for that. He wanted a patch for his pants. He must have had a hole in his pants. You know what else he wanted? He wanted a Hebrew Bible with a Hebrew grammar with a Hebrew dictionary. He said, can you give me that before I die so I can study the scriptures? He wanted to feed his soul with the Bible. Are you nourishing yourself? Let me just tell you, if you only eat on Sunday mornings the Bible, you're in big trouble. By Tuesday, you are spiritually hungry. We need to feed ourselves every day with the scriptures. Nourish our, our bodies. Now, this is what excited me. I went to go visit Ray the other day and, and I'm sitting there and I walk in and here's Ray and next to him, he had that little devotional Bible there. And he's feeding his soul with the devotional Bible. Praise God. That, is, that just encouraged my heart. Here's Ray. He's all excited about that. Praise the Lord. That's what we need. Feeding our souls. Now, here's where the Bible gets fun. Look at this in verse 7. I love this. This is, you can't even, you can't even make this stuff up. You just got to have fun with it. Look at this one. Verse 7. You got to make sure that you don't go down these rabbit trails. Now, he's going to pick on old women. You ready for this? All right, now don't get mad at me if you're an older woman here today. I'm not picking on you. Paul is. Watch this here. This is, gets kind of fun here. This is fun. Watch this. What he says. He, he says, have nothing to do. Refuse it. Decline the call. 
Don't, don't, don't even go there, he says in verse 7. Don't, don't, don't go down this Satan's rabbit trails that you get all excited about controversy. Don't go down that path. Don't, don't go down the, 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 the worldly fables. The, the, the word there is the unholy myths. Things that lead to speculation. Things we just don't know. Don't go down that path. Don't, don't get all excited about controversy and, and things we can't prove and, and, and try to fight them. We don't know the next pandemic. Don't go down that path. Oh, I know what's going to happen to the U.S. the next pandemic. We're going to be in big trouble. You don't know. I don't know. No one knows. It may happen. It may not happen. But people love to go down these rabbit trails that Satan loves to pick, to, to, to put us down. Now watch this here. These are rabbit trails fit for who? Only for old women. Do you see it? Do you see her? Come here, Sonny. Who are these old women? Now, let me tell you something. Paul is using a little sarcasm here. Are you ready for this? He's using not... It, back then, women were considered unsophisticated. Don't get mad at me. Uneducated. And as they got older, senile. They were nuts. Okay, now, careful. Not all old women are nuts. But let me tell you, I've met my few. We had a lady in New York City that would walk around with a baby carriage with no baby inside. And she was older and she would scream at us. Hey, there's those churchgoers! Look at them! Ah, they believe in the Bible! And then one day I was outdoors giving an outdoor testimony and I didn't know she was there. And as I'm walking to, to, to home from work a couple of weeks later, she grabs me with her straw. She goes, there he is! The kid that got saved when he was 20! The one who loves Jesus! She started quoting my testimony. The lady was a nut. A nut job. You know what I mean? A nut job. She was, she was, she was crazy. What he's saying is this. He's saying, don't go down these rabbit trails that only nut jobs would believe. Don't go down there. Or it's another sense where he's using it. Older women back then were very gullible. And they could be taken advantage and they would believe things. People try to do that here. They called Grandma Joy one time and they said, Hi, Grandma Joy, I'm your grandson. I'm in jail right now. I need $6,000. Can you send it to me, Grandma Joy? They were trying to take advantage of her. So she started to ask questions. Tell me about the car you just bought. Tell me about it. She, you know, she's very smart. You're not going to mess around with Grandma Joy. And she figured out this guy. And she kept playing the guy. Now that she knew he was a fake, she kept messing with him. Don't mess with Grandma Joy. Here's what he's saying. Don't spend your time going down these fairy tale things that lead to nothing, these rabbit trails that lead to nothing that only gullible people are going to believe. And let me tell you, there's people who believe some nonsense out there. Don't go down that path. Here's the path you ought to go down. On the other hand, in verse 7, here's what you ought to do. Get in the gym. Ready for this? 
discipline yourself. The word there is the Greek word for gymnasium. Get in the gym. All right, now one amen here. Nobody wants to get in the gym. I'll give an amen. Get in the gym. All right, now, let me just tell you something. We're not getting into the physical gym here. Did you know back then there were gyms in every city? Do you know that when the kid turned 16, a male turned 16, the parents said, you were going to the gym? Do you know why they put him in the gym when he was younger? From 16 to 18, he had to work out, you know, for two reasons. One, he had to work out because he had to get his body in the shape for what was to prepare him once he hit 18. It was going to be hard work. There wasn't back then, they weren't working on their iPhones and computers. They were working on building, they were, they were building things. It was hard work. So get ready, son. You're 16, hit the gym, get some muscles, put some meat on those bones because you're about to work hard the rest of your life. Amen? Then the other reason why is because some of them thought they were pretty good at sports and they can compete so they worked out and they got their bodies looking like mine and they were ready for the Olympics. <laughs> Amen? And so they work out and work out like crazy and then they think they can handle everything, you know, and they, they go into these sporting events were big. Here's what Paul says. Get in the gym. But Get in the gym for the purpose of what? Godliness. See that there? Spiritual progress doesn't happen without spiritual discipline. We don't just poof, become a great servant of God. It takes a lot of hard work. We don't just poof, love God right away. It takes a lot of work. It takes getting up. If you're a young mother, getting up maybe before your children get up and, and have a quiet time when it's really quiet because it's very hard because the house is always loud with kids. Or if you marry an Italian, it's always loud. And so you need your quiet time. You need time alone. It, it is not easy. It, working out is not easy. Nobody goes to the gym and says, you know what? I'm just going to go to the gym, pick up, do a couple of arms. I'm going to have a beautiful body. No, they got to go to the gym. They got to work out their arms. They got to work out their chest. They got to work out their back. They got to do sinful, godless, I believe from the pit of hell, squats. Those hurt. Johnny, I haven't squatted in 20 something years. Come on, dad, you can do it. All right, son, I'll show you. Put 195 on there, which is not great. I squatted. Boy, I was fine. Woof, ah, woof, ah, woof, ah, woof, ah. Put it up. I was a little dizzy afterwards, but I did it. <laughs> Boy, for three days, I couldn't walk. Unbelievable. <laughs> Holy cow. What did they do to me? They killed my whole body was hurt. All I did was another squat. Those are godless. But let me just tell you, you're not going to get a body. By just working out arms every day. You're not going to get a spiritual body. By just reading a little psalm every day, you have to have spiritual nourishment from the whole scriptures. And it takes discipline. And let me just tell you about you guys that work out in the gym and think you got good bodies right now. Look at verse 8. <laughs> let me give you this verse. I love to throw this to people when they tell me they're at the gym. For bodily discipline is only of what? 
little profit. Now, it doesn't say of no profit. So don't go here and say you need to freeze your gym membership because you're wasting your life. It doesn't say of no profit. You go and work out, you lose weight, you feel better, you sleep better, you look better, and your body feels good. There's profit to that. It's not like there's no profit to it. There is profit to it, but it's of little profit. Here's why. It doesn't last forever. It's limited. It's not going to be there forever. Have you seen Arnold Schwarzenegger now? I can beat him up. He looks like a weak... I mean, I could, I could blow him over right now. Now, 30 years ago, if I saw him in an alley, I'd be worried. But now I'll take that terminator and I'll rip them apart. I'm not worried about it. Bodily exercise. You know what happens with great muscles and great body? You know what happens? It dies and turns to dust. It doesn't last. It's of temporal value. But here's what's sad. People put the physical so much over the spiritual. And so their whole life is about the physical. And so when it comes to sports or God, sports wins. Or when it comes to working out the physical body and, and, and forget about reading the Bible, the physical body wins. Everything's about the physical and it's not about the spiritual. Here's what he says. Don't do that. He says, he says bodily exercise only profits a little bit. It doesn't last forever. But here's, here's what happened. Godliness, when you exercise yourself for godliness, when you're living for God... When you're serving God, notice what it says here. When, when, you, when you have a life that's devoted to God, when, you're, when you let your personal trainer, you know who our personal trainer is in the spiritual world? The Holy Spirit, amen? He helps us to be like God. When you allow the, the, the Holy Spirit to discipline yourself and you become godly and your life is devoted to God and you have a God-centered life, it is profitable, don't miss this in verse 8, for all things. In other words, it will affect your body, your soul, your spirit. It will affect your, your, the people in your life. It will affect your marriage. It will affect how you parent people. It will affect how you work. It will affect everything of your life. You say, how does it affect your body if you live for God? Here's why. Because if you have a God-centered life, guess what's going to happen to this body? If I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and I believe in you, this body will die and this body will what? Isn't that beautiful? And here's what's beautiful. It will change your life as you discipline yourself to have a God-centered life. Godliness is a God-centered life. As you discipline yourself, guess what? It will change your life. You will be a different worker. You will be a different husband. You will be a different father because you're living for God. And you see, that has a promise. Notice this in verse 8. A promise in this life. And it has a promise in the life to come. In other words, bodily discipline has a promise for this life. Yeah, you can live longer and maybe play tennis in your 80s and you're excited and you have all this. But it's just this life. But it has a promise not only for this life, but it has a promise for the life to come. When you stand before God and say, Lord, I, I, by your Holy Spirit, my personal trainer, and, 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 and he allowed me to be disciplined and able to read the word, nourish myself. I could be the father that you want and impact my kids for all eternity. That's what God wants. 
He wants us to make an impact, not just now, but for all eternity. And the rewards are literally out of this world. He said, Timothy, don't go down those rabbit trails that are only fit for these old women. You make sure that you discipline yourself. You get in the gym for the purpose of living for God. That means you embrace some limits. That means you change some things by the Holy Spirit. That means you make God a priority in your life every day of your life. It means that the physical does not win when it comes to the spiritual. Or as John Piper put it, which is really sad, in some countries people are getting up wondering or not they're going to die if they go to church. In America, people get up and they wonder whether or not they should take their kid to soccer game or go to church. That's their discipline. What a different world. Look at this here. One last thing. He says, you want to be a good servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only are you going to faithfully point out things that you ought to point out, and you're going to be nourished in the scriptures in verse 6, and you're going to not go down those side, those rabbit trails. You're not going to do that, but you're going to discipline yourself. Here's, here's look what he says here, the last thing here in verse 9. We need to believe this and accept it. It's not just something we need to hear. We need to, to, to live our lives around this. In verse 10, here it is. If you're going to be a good servant of Jesus Christ, you're going to understand that it is not easy living for God, but it is worth it. Watch it. Verse 10, he says, For it is for this we labor and strive. Don't miss those two words. The first word labor means to go to a point where you're physically exhausted, that you have no energy left. You just hit the pillow and you're out. You are so tired. You are weary. You have nothing left to give. And then look at the next word. Strive is the where we get our English word agony. It is hard. It is agonizing. He says this. This is the reason why we work ourselves to the point where we have no more energy and we live this agony. You say, wait a minute. Serving God is like that? Oh, you better believe it. I have a friend in Pueblo West. He, he wrote me last week. He says, pray for me. I'm about to do a funeral for a four-month-old baby. Four months. By God's grace, I've never had to do that. I've had to do it for young people. Four months. He said, Jeremy, you would not believe what this has done to our church. So I wrote him this week. I said, I've been praying. How you doing? You know what he wrote me? He says, I am exhausted. I am emotionally done. I preached to 400 people the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is hard. You say, why would somebody live their lives for that? Why, why not just run when those things come? Why not just switch churches, find a church somewhere else we don't have to deal with it? Why not just give up? Here's what Paul says. He says, we labor, we strive. Here's why. Because we have fixed our hope on who? On the living God. His hope isn't on men. His hope isn't on results. His hope isn't on things that, 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 that can bring attention to his life. His hope is on the living God. If our hope is not on the living God, we will never serve the living God with all our hearts, souls, and minds. 
We were surfing what people say about it. Do you think I'm good? Do you think it went well? What do you think of me? Tell me so I can keep serving. No, we fix our hope on God. He's the living God. You know what that means? That means there are false gods out there, there are dead gods out there. There are people who think they have God. We have it on the living God, the God who is alive right now and the God who gives life. That's why I love serving God, because he is the God that gives life to other people who are spiritually dead, who now become alive and understand the Bible because of Jesus Christ. He says, my hope is on the living God. And let me tell you about this living God. He is the Savior, uh-oh, watch this, of all men. I'm sorry if your super lapsarian is here today. You say, what is that? I'll put the cookies right here. They believe that Jesus just died for a certain amount of people, only the elect. The Savior of all men. Now, be careful with this. Doesn't mean all men are saved. But if you study the context, he says bodily exercise is what? Temporal. Godliness is eternal. Here's what he's saying. God is the Savior temporally. God gives blessings to all men, whether they believe or not. It rains on all men. The sun shines on all men. There is common grace for all people. There are people who never read the Bible, who never pray, who live long lives, who smoke cigars until they're 120. Ask George Burns. You know, he did it. He smoked cigars until they're 100. I don't know how many cigars he smoked. He could care less about God. But Paul says this. He is the Savior of all men, especially, the Greek word is namely, specifically, of who? of believers, who those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, in other words, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are not only saved temporally in this world, but they're saved also eternally forever and ever. In other words, it's as simple as this. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, you are saved. If it's not, you're not. The passport to heaven is faith. And some people, one guy brought it out really nice. Some people are going to try to get to heaven with a fake passport. And they're going to open it up. And it's going to show what they believed. And they're not going to go there. I was, I was listening to somebody who was trying to get to another country. And they got all these fake passports. And what they did with the fake passport is uh, they had it all ready. And it rained really hard. And when it rained really hard, the ink knocked the passport, made the passport, all, took all the ink out of it, and the passport took the picture, the white rain took the picture out. So when they opened it up to get into the country, they couldn't get in. Why? Because they had false passports. They're going to be people who are going to go to God and say, look, I have all good works, I have everything, let me in the kingdom. That's a false passport. We trust in Jesus Christ. We are believers. He is the Savior of all men, especially those who have put their faith alone in Christ alone for salvation. And Paul says, this is why I don't stop. You know why I don't stop? I don't stop until everyone hears that wonderful message. The church should not rest until everyone's heard the message. So if we want to be good servants of the Lord, what does that mean? 
It means that we're going to faithfully lay out what it says in the scriptures. It means that we're going to nourish ourselves with the very words of faith and of sound doctrine. It means we're not going to go down those rabbit trails in verse 7 that a lot of people like to go. It means that we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to have the discipline, a plan to live for God. And so here's the question. What is your spiritual plan to be more spiritual in 2024? He has a plan. <laughs> no worries, Zane. You're all right. What's the plan? Because it ain't just going to happen. Poof. We saw Coach Portugal in the, uh, in the gym. And we said, and Johnny goes, do you, do you have a plan when you come to the gym? He goes, no. I just go to the gym. I pick up a weight. Any weight that's open, I go pick it up. That's not a plan. Can't just go to the gym and pick up any weight you want. You got to have a plan. And if we're going to be spiritual, we got to have a plan. What is our spiritual plan? What are we planning on reading, studying, meditating? What is the discipline? What are the, what are the limits that we're going to embrace this year? If not, we're not going to grow like God wants us to grow. We're going to be the same. People say, I can't understand why I didn't lose weight. How you been doing this week? I, well, I ate six pizzas. I went to the gym once. I don't know why I didn't lose weight. Well, <laughs> Some people say, oh, pastor, I want to grow. I haven't grown. I don't know why I haven't grown. I did. Have you read your Bible this week? No. Have you, have you been studying, meditating? Not? <laughs> spiritual growth takes spiritual discipline by the Holy Spirit, with a spiritual plan. And the great news is we have the best personal trainer ever, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Depend on him and ask him to work in your life and he will change you to make you more God-centered. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you for these wonderful marks of what it means to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to, to faithfully lay out the truths of the scriptures, Lord. To have the boldness to call a spade a spade, to not to be a politician agreeing with one group and agreeing with another. But Lord, to be faithful to your word. Help us to go to your word for spiritual nourishment every day of our lives. We need spiritual strength and nourishment that comes from meditating on the words of faith and of sound doctrine. So help us to do that, Lord. Help us, Father, not to go down these rabbit trails. It's so easy to go down and get caught up reading things and junk teaching and all this stuff that's going on that leads to nothing. So, Father, help us, Lord, on the other hand, to discipline ourselves. Asking your Holy Spirit to help us to have a plan to train spiritually, to grow, to read your word, to get in the Psalms and the Proverbs, to get in the epistles, in the historical readings, whatever it may be. The Father, to have a plan and to embrace limits and not to put physical things over spiritual things. 
It's so easy for us to do because we see the physical progress a lot better sometimes than we do the spiritual progress. But God, godliness will affect us now and will affect lives for eternity. So help us, Lord, when we get weary and the agony that we face, God, on this earth and we get weary with ourselves and with others and we just want to give up to fix our hope on you, the living God. You're the God who gives life. You're the Savior of all men. And you're the Savior especially of those who put their trust alone in Jesus Christ. You sent your Son to die for all. He's a ransom for all. You desire all, but not all come. So God, I pray if there's any here that still hasn't come to you, that today would be the day. They would say, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I don't want to try to get to heaven with a fake passport. I want to put my trust alone in Christ alone. Thank you that you're a saving God. Breathe life into us, Lord, we pray. For your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If the kids can come up now, I don't know if we can get them or how we want to bring them in here. Oh, they're already in the back. Wow, they're ready. they're ready to get out and play in the ice. I'm going to ask um, if I can get uh, Cameron to come on up and, and, and Sam, if you can help as well. Uh, distribute the Lord's Supper as we get into this. I just want to read a couple of verses here and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper real quick and then uh, just focus our hearts on this. Um, in the devotional study Bible, or uh, I'm sorry, the devotional Bible in the back there, the men's Bible there, the, the one to um, read through. Is, today's reading is Romans 5 and I wanted just to read a couple of verses here. Here in Romans 5. 